Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassiopeia. Have you got your hands on your very own Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces candles? If not, definitely take a gander over at thepizzaandpigtails.com, Wick and Faye Candle Shop, as they are on sale now. And don't forget that if you subscribe to the Patreon, you actually get, um, depending on which tier, you actually get a candle as a thank you. And don't forget, we also have stickers and keychains now as official merchandise for the podcast. And you can actually get some of those by just uh, reaching out to me. Um, as I haven't added those to the store and I'm still working on getting the website going, so that's still all up in the air at the moment. But you can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram, creepycases.spookyspaces, and we could definitely get you hooked up with one of those. Um, so, uh, one of my favorite types of spooky spaces to read about is the lighthouse and i think it's because most of them are actually older beings and a lot of them date back centuries and they always have a tale or two to tell and they also just look so foreboding just sitting in their solitude um and i wanted to do an episode on um the haunted lighthouses of the world and um i actually thought it would be fun to do it kind of as a series so to speak so throughout the season i'll be peppering in um as spooky space locations um the lighthouse series uh but make sure um that you subscribe because some of them may end up as bonus episodes and you of course don't want to miss out Um, But this week's Spooky Space is actually our Lighthouse series, episode number one, and it involves the St. Simons Island in Georgia and St. Augustine Lighthouse in Florida. So let's get started. Simons Island is located in Glen County on the southeast coast of Georgia, midway between Savannah and Jacksonville, Florida. And it's actually the largest of Georgia's Golden Isles, which includes Sea Island, Jekyll Island, and Little St. Simons Island, which is actually privately owned, which I kind of want to know who and um, I kind of want to see this island. Anyway, Uh, The island was originally inhabited by tribes of the Creek Nation, or the Muskegee Nation, and just north of the village on the island off Mallory Street, 
There's a park of oak trees named St. Simon's Park. Original, right? On the southern edge along a narrow lane is a low mound where 30 Timuquan Native Americans are buried. Now, the men, women, and children actually lived in a settlement on the site two centuries prior to the first European contact. Now, a part of the island named Cannons Point has yielded ceramics dating all the way back to the Sapello period, which was actually 2500 to 1000 BC. Now, in the early 20th century, the people of St. Simons were the Gual, a historic Native American chiefdom of Mississippian cultured people. And in 1580, the Mokama people, who were part of the Timucua group, were uh, prominent in the area. Now, sometime between 1597 and 1609, the mission of San Buenaventura of Guadalupe was established. And in 1680, raiders from the Chichimecos, which is the Spanish word for Westos or Iroquois, and the Uchis, which were the Muskegee, and the Chilukwe, who were the Makamo and the Yamasi, and they attacked Cologne aided by the support of the English in the province of Carolina. Now, a force of Spanish soldiers and Native Americans from San Buenaventura went to aid Cologne and actually forced the raiders to withdraw. Now, construction on Fort Frederica began in 1736, serving as the military headquarters of the province of Georgia. Nearby is the site of the Battle of Gully Hole Creek and the Battle of Bloody Marsh, where on July 7, 1742, the British ambushed Spanish troops, and this marked the end of Spanish efforts to invade Georgia. Now, the original St. Simon's Island Lighthouse was built in 1810, and it was a 75-foot-tall octagonal lighthouse topped by a 10-foot oil-burning lamp. During the American Civil War in 1862, an invasion by the Union troops forced Confederate soldiers to abandon the area. And the retreating troops actually destroyed the lighthouse to prevent it from being an aid to the navigation of Union warships. A new lighthouse was constructed just west to replace the original. A 104-foot brick structure completed in 1872 and was fitted with a biconvex Fresnel lens. 129 cast iron spiral stairway steps lead to the watch station. The keeper's dwelling is a two-story Victorian structure that was actually the home of the lighthouse keepers from 1872 until the 1950s. And today it houses the Lighthouse Museum 
that includes interactive exhibits, rare artifacts, and period rooms that reveal the history of St. Simon's Island and the life of what a lighthouse keeper would, would have been like. Now, not only were the lives of soldiers taken during the war, but with the construction of the new lighthouse brought more tragedy. Stagnant ponds on the island were the perfect breeding ground for disease-carrying mosquitoes, and many of the men, including the head of construction, were bitten and infected with malaria and died a year before the construction was finished. Now, originally, the keeper and his family, along with an assistant and his family, would actually both live in the home. The keeper would live on the ground floor and the assistant would live on the second floor. And there was a central stairway that kind of connected the two households. And the house was connected to the tower by a room in the, que in the keeper's dwelling. Now in 1880, lightkeeper Frederick Osborne and his assistant John Stevens kept the light operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now could you believe that? And I know that there's like two of you and everything like that, but that really means that you you really don't get a day off because unless you're doing like different shifts of okay well I'll cover it for like today you cover it tomorrow and stuff like that but I imagine it was probably like either they switched off maybe like 12 hours and 12 hours or 8888 however they wanted to separate it but that's just it's a lot of it's a lot of hours um, but with both men and their families living in the lighthouse, I'm sure it was also cramped quarters. And trouble began when Osborne spoke to Stevens's wife in an uh, inappropriate manner. And now I'm not sure what was said. Um, all I see is the that it was in an inappropriate manner. So I'm not sure if it was he was just rude to her or if he came on to her or if it was something like that. But uh, the two men actually got into a heated argument after Osborne refused to apologize. And this led to Stevens shooting and killing Osborne. Now, John Stevens was arrested and charged with the murder. However, he was actually acquitted of all charges. And it wasn't long after that reports of strange footsteps being heard when no one was around and the scent of tobacco smoke could be smelled and clinks and clangs heard. One report from 1908 actually tells of how the wife of a keeper was having problems with the mechanism of the lighthouse while her husband was away. And in her frustration, she actually called out to the past keeper, Osborne. She called out to his spirit, telling him to come and fix the light. And then a few moments later, she heard a clink and a rattle, and then saw the distinct figure of Osborne bending over the works. And overwhelmed by what she was seeing, she actually fainted, but 
upon regaining consciousness, she actually woke to the steady click, click of the light, assuring her that all was well. And now, maybe Osborne's death came so suddenly that he never stopped his nightly routine of inspecting the lighthouse, as his figure has been seen in and around the tower. Do you smell that? The fairies must be whipping up something amazing over at the Wiccan Fae Candle Nook. The custom layered candles are a must for all candle lovers. With your choice of three scents, you can create your very own garden soiree or Sunday yummy Sunday. With names like Bitch Slap Blue, Chill the Fuck Out, and even the new Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces scent line, you are bound to find something for everyone. So right now, when you mention the code CREEPYSPOOKY, you'll get 10% off your first order. So head on over to pizzaandpigtails.com and click the shop link up in the left-hand corner and get your very own Wiccan Fay candles today. St. Augustine a city located in northeastern Florida was founded on September 8, 1565 by Spanish Admiral Pedro Menendez de Aviles, and he was actually also uh, Florida's first governor. Now, he named the city San Agustin as his ships uh, from Spain had actually first spotted the Florida land 11 days earlier on August 28th, which is the Feast of St. Augustine. Now, the city is actually the oldest continuously inhabited European-established settlement in the contiguous uh, United States. In 1763, it was designated as the capital of British East Florida when the colony was established during the Seven-Year War until Great Britain returned Florida to Spain in 1783. Now, in 1819, under the Adams-Onis Treaty, Spain ceded Florida and St. Augustine to the United States, and Andrew Jackson actually returned to Florida in 1821 and established a new territorial government. And now Americans from older plantation societies of Virginia, Georgia, and the Carolinas began to move to the area. And I take this was like the beginning of when like older people started retiring to Florida just so they could clog the highways and just stare at palm trees like they've never seen them before in their life. <laughs> just kidding. Um, not really. West Florida was actually consolidated with East Florida and the new capital became Tallahassee, which is the halfway point between the old capitals of Pensacola and St. Augustine. Now, not only the first city, but St. Augustine was actually the site of the first lighthouse established in Florida. And according to archival records and maps, the official first watchtower was built as early as the 16th century. 
Baptista Boagio constructed a map in 1589 which depicted the wooden structure which was described as a beacon. Now at some point in 1737, Spanish authorities had built a more permanent tower from Coquina taken from a nearby quarry. And Coquina, if you're unfamiliar with it, is actually a mixture of shells, mollusk, trilobites, brachiopods, and other invertebrates. And this is also the first mention of the light being added to the tower. Now, early lamps in the first tower burned lard oil, but multiple lamps were replaced with a Fresnel lens. And by 1870, beach erosion was actually a threat to the first tower. So in 1871, construction on a new tower began, and it was completed in 1874 and lit for the first time in October by keeper William Russell, the only keeper to work both towers. Now the old tower crashed into the sea in 1880, and today the tower ruins are a submerged archaeological site, which actually sounds fascinating to me, and I wish I could go and explore them, um, but I'm not a great swimmer and they probably don't let just random people just pop in whenever they feel like it. But it's no wonder that the St. Augustine Lighthouse has been deemed the Mona Lisa of paranormal sites by the one of the guys on Ghost Hunters, because lamp archaeologists have found multiple shipwrecks in the area. Now, the oldest identified shipwreck dates back to May 6, 1764. It was the Industry, a British supply ship that was attempting to make port, and artifacts from the ship have actually been recovered, such as old weapons, cannons, swivel guns, and anchors. And ships from 1782, as many as 16, were lost on the sandbar in front of the St. Augustine Inlet. Now, like all hauntings, the spirits that roam the grounds didn't just appear. Over the centuries, many people have come and gone, lived and died, and some have remained after their death. Now, some of the spooky and strange events that have happened range from music boxes turning on by themselves and doors that are locked at night, only to be found unlocked in the morning. Now, chairs have been moved or overturned, which is really odd, because are they like fighting, like having ghost, ghost fights at night? And various items have actually gone missing, but then reappear later. I deal with that a lot too. Like I have, you know, I've dealt with spirits in the past and it's like, that's one of my most frustrating things is like, I know I put something right here. Why is it not there? You go somewhere else and you come back a little bit later and it's right where you left it. And it's just like, Rrr. Now, multiple people have reported a cold feeling when touring the light keeper's quarters and a figure of a tall man appearing before them only to also disappear before them. It may be tempting to ignore the smell of cigar smoke, especially because the site is smoke-free, and anyone who has encountered it, or the tall, shadowy figure that seems to show up when it does, dressed in a blue jacket and mariner's cap, 
They'll tell you a sense of fear in the air lingers after it all fades away. Now, could it be Peter Mas Rasmussen? Known for his careful watch over the tower, he was into the finer things in life. And in fact, he was actually the one who ensured bathtubs, closets, and toilets were put in the keeper's house. Now, of course, I'm not going to blame him because bathtubs, like I actually recently moved and I have an amazing bathtub in my new place. And I have to say, bathtubs, bathtubs, bathtubs. <laughs> That's, that is... But above all of these things, cigars were his main luxury. <clears throat> now, what about William Russell? He was tall and thin as well, and he was actually the protective and dutiful keeper who was the first to work on the new tower. So, could it actually be him? But it could also be Joseph Andro. He was a keeper who fell from the top of the tower when the scaffolding used to complete the paint repairs failed while he was doing some touch-ups. And apparitions are often tied to the places when they met a sudden and unexpected death in life. So maybe Joseph is still in the lighthouse just trying to sort out why he was taking from the earth so unexpectedly. Those who report hearing the screams of a man falling to his death can attest to the chilling nature of such a spectacle. Now, Maria Mestre de los Dolores, also known as the woman on the catwalk, she may be the most unnerving spirit. She makes quite the impression, as in 1859, she was not only the first woman to serve in the U.S. Coast Guard, but she was actually also the first Hispanic American woman to command a federal shore installation, which was the St. Augustine Lighthouse, which I think is pretty awesome, and it's actually a pretty cool piece of uh, history. Now, the appointment came after her husband, our formerly mentioned Joseph Andro, met his faithful end. Now, Maria was obviously heartbroken and left on Anastasia Island to follow in the very same footsteps her husband had once taken. And she was known to stand at the edge of the catwalk, just looking down to where her husband's body once laid, broken. She can still be found there, leaning over the railing, could she be imagining what Joseph's last few seconds of life on Earth had been like? Now, perhaps the most well-known haunting of the lighthouse is that of the two pity girls, Eliza and Mary. Now, when it was realized that the lighthouse would soon lose its battle with Mother Nature, Congress approved the money for a new tower. And in 1872, Superintendent of Lighthouse Construction Hezekiah Pitty moved his family, his wife Mary, and his children, Mary Adelaide, Eliza, Edward, and Carrie, from Cape Elizabeth, Maine, to oversee construction of the new lighthouse. Now, by 1873, only 42 feet of the 165-foot tower was complete. And the children, as most children often do, uh, turned the site into their very own playground and would invite the children of the other workers to join in on their fun. Now, a railway cart that moved the supplies from ships docked at Salt Run to the building site was... Uh, um, 
basically their biggest fun that they would have, they would actually ride in the cart down to the water. And it was one of their favorite pastimes. And now normally a wooden board would sit at the end to stop it from tipping into the water. On July 10th, 1873, tragedy struck and the island was changed forever. The three pity sisters, 15-year-old Mary, 13-year-old Eliza, and 4-year-old Carrie, along with an unknown 10-year-old African-American girl whose father may have worked on the site, were riding the cart as they normally did. Only this day, the board that prevented the cart from going into the water wasn't in place. Sadly, the cart flipped into the water, trapping the girls underneath it. And Dan Sessions, a worker who witnessed the accident, raced into the water. And when he reached the cart, he used all of his strength to lift it from atop the girls. Now, some reports claim that four-year-old Carrie was the only to survive, but other stories say that the 10-year-old friend survived as well. Um, and some say that she didn't, but I, there hasn't been a grave site or anything found that, of, like, that proves her death. But it's also sad that her name has never been mentioned anywhere. And maybe the family, you know, wanted to keep it quiet or, you know, just kind of keep her name private because that is a pretty traumatic experience and they probably didn't want anybody, like, bothering her or anything like that. Um, now, the spirits of the pity children are still seen around the area and footsteps of children are heard upstairs and giggles float through the air. One craftsman tells the story of how he woke up to a young girl standing by his bed, and upon rubbing his eyes to see who she was, she had disappeared. Now the girls like to play hide-and-seek, which I'm sure they will always win that one. And one guest on a ghost tour found herself attached to the staircase when her shoelace was actually tied around it. The girls have actually been sighted, just sitting over to the side, reading, but what makes them stand out is they're dressed in Victorian clothing. And there's no denying that there are definitely spooky happenings at the lighthouse, but with such a history, I'm totally not surprised. Now, have you visited the St. Augustine Lighthouse? It's actually on my list. I actually go to St. Augustine because I don't live far from there. And I go maybe two, three times a year. And it's one of my favorite, favorite places to visit. Like, I'm not going to lie. There and Key West is like one of my favorites. But I've never been able, well, not like able, but I've just never had time um, in my schedule to go to the lighthouse. And it's on my list of places to visit so i'll definitely be visiting there and maybe i'll do an update with um the experiences that i have no i'm definitely going to do an update with the experiences that i have um but tell me if you've ever been obviously i want to hear your stories so go ahead and shoot me a message or an email but um as of now that is all i have for you on the lighthouse series episode one so uh, definitely stay tuned throughout the season to get more uh, lighthouse spooky space fun. And um, yeah, for tonight, until next time.
Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia is a Pizza and Pigtails production. All episodes researched, written, and edited by yours truly. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday on your favorite podcast listening platform. Be sure to follow along on Instagram and Facebook at creepycases.spookyspaces for all podcast news and updates. Don't forget to subscribe through the anchor.fm or the Patreon page for exclusive access to bonus content, early episode access, and thank you swag. And if you have a creepy case or a spooky space that you would like to hear featured on a future episode, send me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com.